Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to today's Irish Tech News Podcast. Today I'm talking with uh, Ravan J. Suthasan, Managing Director and Global Practice Leader Wilson, Willis, sorry, Willis Towers Watson. How are you doing, Ravan? Very well, thanks, Ronan. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Now, we also know you're recognised futurist, global thought leader and author on future of work and human capital. So you've got a quite varied background and it's going to be a great interesting podcast. So first of all, how have you managed to manage remote working so quickly? Because it's not, I know it's been tough during the pandemic. Yeah, you know, Ron, it's really interesting. We've been talking about, as you probably know, about remote work for a long time. You know, Alvin Toffler in 1970 talked about this idea of electronic cottages. Yeah. And until this pandemic hit, you know, we've had parts of the world like the Netherlands, for example, Ireland, um, where remote work is more common. But in yeah. the U.S., only 2% of all work was being done full-time remotely. Yeah. And overnight, we went to somewhere north of 50%. And, and I think it was the, the technology has existed for a long time whether it's the applications, you know, Zoom, Teams, et cetera, yeah. uh, the broadband capabilities, um, the, um, uh, uh, the, the sort, of, uh, sort of connectivity of multiple different platforms. Um, but it was really the human muscle <laughs> that was absent. And I think what this pandemic has shown us is that, um, you know, uh, as, as we all know, necessity is the mother of innovation, that uh, the... the that human sort of muscle that was sort of holding back this remote work, you know, sort of uh, rapidly got out of the way and people embraced it. And it's been fascinating to see how quickly, um, you know, anything that can be done remotely is is being done remotely. And all the obstacles we talked about in the past have very quickly faded into the background. Well, again, you might get a boss who's used to doing things traditional way and you mightn't have been ready to, to let go, but now he has to. I found that quite. I know companies that people spoke to. Best time last year, the room working was something that couldn't be done. <clears throat> but suddenly, in the pandemic, the boss says, "Yes, we can do the. It, it will be done." <laughs> it's funny seeing that because when they always say, basically, excuse of money and technology, when both when 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 they got a lot of money and technology is there to do this. Exactly. I guess maybe. Spirit. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Huh? Yeah, I guess maybe time is they're not used they don't to learn new technology. They're happy with what they use, and they're used to living in their own bubble. And when you introduce a new version of a software that they be used for years, and oh, it's a new version, or you said, oh, instead of Skype, we're going to use Zoom, and they're not used to Zoom, that maybe it's getting used to that technology. Exactly. Yeah. I guess Indeed. it's it's how do we get these people to uh, to uh, readjust to a, to to a new life? Yeah. And also, I guess remote working is going to become a permanent part of the future that we work in. So, will this will this be a permanent feature, or will it uh, just be uh, uh, just for now? Yeah, I do think it's going to be permanent. So, I'll, I'll go back to that statistic I yeah. mentioned. So, two percent prior to the pandemic, and right now, at least in the U.S. and I think most of the developed world, somewhere north of fifty percent. We've just done a study, Ronan, of close to two thousand companies. Yeah. And it was quite telling because, you know, the, the vast majority told us that between 
now and the middle of next year, they're going to continue with flexible work, largely for safety concerns for their workforces. But then come the middle part of next year onwards, they were going to continue with flexible work. But now we're going to be doing it because it's become an expectation on the part of their yeah. workforces. They needed to attract the, the best talent, yeah. or many of whom are demanding the, the opportunity to work remotely. And they're, they're, they're finding that it's essential to retain the talent uh, that they already have. So the, well, I, I do think we'll continue with it, maybe not at 55%, yeah. but something close to 40% perhaps. But the driver for it is, is going to be more about keeping people motivated and engaged and attracting the right talent. Well, for me in Ireland, for example, people who work in Dublin, most of them live out, don't live in Dublin. So for them, they live outside because it's cheaper to live. Problem is longer commutes. So in the future, I could see maybe more remote work hubs been set up they can work from there rather than actually travel all the way into work and back. Yeah. Is that the same in America? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's the same thing. And, you know, the, uh, particularly in places like New York and San Francisco, Chicago, um, where the commute can be, you know, horrendous. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really become such an important part of, of working. And, you know, there, there are a lot of people who, when this pandemic hit, moved out into suburbs into the countryside etc and uh, i suspect you know want to preserve that way of life yeah for me and people who, who spend with two two three hours a day minimum traveling to and from work and they found it uh, that they could at least now be able to see their children more get up in the morning at a reasonable hour don't feel tired and be the guests by nine o'clock knowing they could have got up to have breakfast to shower and everything else they were good to go and also it meant that when they went for lunch they could spend money in local economy and local town that they'd live in as well and be cheaper as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think in the long term, if we're going to grow the economy back, the only way to do it is if you have people working remotely in the local town where they live and that money is spent in that town, the economy will then grow back up. Exactly. And I know that people are now trying to still figure out, like on Twitter, for example, they said, they're going to be working remotely long-term. And Microsoft looking at that, doing that as well. And that's going to be a challenge, especially if you're somebody who's dealing with a help desk scenario. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a really interesting thing because, um, well, well, two things. One is by having kind of more of a global, national or even a global approach to talent, it lets you bring more people yeah. into the game, right? And not limiting yourself to this one pool of talent in the Bay Area. Yeah. Um, but in, you know, in, in, in terms of help desk, it's, it, it is interesting because now you've got to provide support to a really distributed population, but at the same time, the technology allows you to basically run a globally virtual help desk, yeah. you know? Um, so it's, it's really fascinating, Ronan, as to how the, you know, as you started off with this interview, the, the pandemic has really turned so many of the assumptions we held um, to be true and, and near and dear to our hearts on their heads, yeah. you know, in, in, in a very short amount of time. Well, I know that in Ireland, Apple, for example, Apple have helped a lot of help desk workers in Ireland. And since they started doing that, it's always been done uh, from their houses remotely. Apple will provide you with the technology to do this, like computer and everything else. 
and everything else is cloud-based. So they've been able to do that. Right. Other companies right now are getting into that, but the problem is they're behind the curve. Apple was smart enough to realize this this is going to be a feature for us because obviously they, they figured, just in case anything goes wrong, we're ready for this. And Accenture are the exact same. They were prepared for no. Accenture PwC were prepared for remote working from day one because past two years they've updated systems to cope with this. But other guys are now trying to do this. And when you're trying to do it during a pandemic, it's harder than before a pandemic. Exactly. Yeah. And I guess you found that as well. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. It, it's, you know, the, the ones who've been bold and who have viewed this crisis as, one of a better phrase, an opportunity to question and challenge, yeah. have really, um, I think, challenged their legacy. And that's something that I've written a fair bit about, about how our legacies, you know, tend to have really been such an impediment to automation and digitalization. And, and the ones who have challenged their legacies are the ones who I think have thrived uh, for, during this time. Yeah, because for a legacy, you're thinking of a company that's always been there for one certain product, one certain service, and then suddenly they're not willing to go and, and change what they've done. They'll just keep doing what they're doing. I mean, if, if look for something like IBM, what they sort of doing, what they're doing now is totally different, but it, yeah. it but it's still offering service. They've changed, yeah. but others haven't. Exactly, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah, and I guess at a time when you look at something like I mean, they started doing punchy card and type of different things, and then going into servers, and then going into personal computers. They did that, did different things. Now they're going into cloud services. They've actually managed to uh, still have legacy of providing businesses with a, with a cutting edge service. That hasn't changed, but they've changed what that service is. And I admire them for able exactly. to do that. Yeah. Like, look at AI and Watson, yeah. for example. That's a great product that they've got now. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. It's, and it's really interesting because I, I love your using IBM as the example because they very quickly discerned, you know, what, what, are their, what parts of their legacy should they be retaining, right, their customer yeah. relationships, the types of solutions they provide, how they provide those solutions, et cetera, while the solution itself is, has, you know, they might have defined themselves in the past by the solution they provided, and I think increasingly the solution just is a means to an end. Yeah. Um, it's a means to sort of supporting this particular customer base. Now I'm looking at Microsoft, how they've slowly changed when Steve Ballmer was in charge, they were run a certain way and there was something they didn't do. And recently it was at a conference about three years ago an AI and deep learning. Half the guys Microsoft were there using uh, Apple Macs. I'm thinking if Ballmer was in charge, we wouldn't be doing that. But they changed their view was basically, we've got products that we want to sell. We know that everyone's going to be using a, a, a Windows-based PC or a computer. But we've got a, we've got a Zero and we've got Office. Those can be run in a Mac. So... If you, if, you, if you can't beat them, give them that, those services too as well, which is great. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, uh, and also thinking about basically Linux, they've seen that as an opportunity to get into as well, whereas before, other companies might have no, no, we're not doing that. But Microsoft have slowly evolved, and you're seeing anyone who's got a computer, no matter what OS it is, we want a part of that action. No matter what, what action, it could be either... Azure cloud space or it could be Office. And that's something that companies are realizing now they have to, you can't beat them, join them. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. 
And I guess, uh, what about your thoughts on technology helping us to enable us to work during a pandemic? I mean, are we getting more into automation, etc.? Yeah, yeah. So, so it, you know, we are seeing a pretty massive spike in in automation, and it's it's not new in the sense that you see a spike in automation coming out of every recession since you know the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. But uh, you know what's different this time around, Ronan, as you know, is it's not just the cost side of the equation; it's also the the ways of working. You know, anything that has involved human contact has had to be re envisioned. So, yeah. whether it's banking, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's working in a warehouse, you know, all of those, those touch points have now been automated in a different fashion. And I do think it's going to be a pretty significant challenge as the global economy recovers. And yeah. I've been talking about this notion of a K-shaped recovery, yeah. um, this idea that as much inequality as we have now, it's going to be exacerbated even more as the work that the likes of you and me and others who are, whose work is digitally enabled do, there's going to be lots of opportunities for us to work and earn an income. But many others who have not been able to work during this pandemic, who, you know, who may not be able to go back to work as a result of the rise in automation, I think we're going to see even more dislocation yeah. as we look to reskill them for jobs in some fundamentally different areas. Because I can remember thinking back 40 years ago, when you guys worked in the car factory and they were doing the same old boring job on a, on a, on a factory line, when, when they were getting mm-hmm. bored, they would throw spare pieces or, or, or screws into, into a side of a car door panel. So when the car production line in, the, you drove your, this car, you, you heard rattling. Nowadays that's done by robots because the robots don't get bored. And same with when you do work in office and you do mundane database work or falling through data. That used to be done by a person, and the person might get bored and miss certain things. With AI machine learning, that doesn't happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, in, in, in my uh, last book, Reinventing Jobs, we spent, the whole book was about identifying how automation affects, uh, affects work and where does it substitute, you know, the highly, as you say, yeah. the highly repetitive rules-based work, which is most easily substituted versus augmenting the work that requires ingenuity and creativity, the work that you do, for yeah. example, and then potentially also creating demand for new types of skills um, that are going to then require us to reskill people en masse in, in a fundamentally different way. Yeah, because I'm thinking basically uh, if, if, if you got something like me doing a job and I want to do some research, if I spend all my time researching, I won't get much work written work done. So if I can get someone or, or uh, machine learning to go and say, I'm looking for information on a uh, Robin for a podcast. Could you put together a portfolio of what he does and, and find it for me and I can do my other work. So it means you got exactly. the staff doing day-to-day work that, that they can do, that they're skilled to do. Exactly. And that's a, that's a brilliant example because right there, um, you've substituted the repetitive rules based. Yeah. Freeing, Bring yourself up to do the things that require ingenuity, creativity, innovation, you know, the things that are truly human. I can't see AI yet being able to do a podcast or do a proper written interview or article just yet. Maybe one day, but not just yet, because I'm not sure if we'll pass the Turing rule, the Turing test. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> it'd be funny if that happened. I know that people are predicting one day we'll have that, but I think right now it's too soon for that. 
And I'm thinking of the movie Blade Runner, the old version, uh, the, the original, and then the, uh, yep, the uh, prequel, the, the sequel. When you look at what was said in 2017 in the original movie, what they predicted didn't really happen. And in the future one, I'm not sure will that happen either. But it's nice to look at those things and think, what could happen? Yeah. Because I remember in, 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 in the in sequel, they actually brought in drones. Because they've probably seen what we're using them now. That's going to probably be more believable. But other things, right. I'm not sure that will happen yet. But when you're writing these things, no one knows what the future is going to be. You have to try and do something. Exactly. And, you know, we know that as humans, right, we always yeah. overestimate estimate the near-term impact of technology and underestimate the long-term yeah. impact of it. Yeah, we do. And, and I've noticed that. Uh, other movies I've seen, like, remember Back to Future 2, when, when, when the year that was sick uh, passed, everyone expected we were going to have these uh, th- those Nike shoes that could, uh, that could tie themselves up. And then Nike actually bought them out because they right. had no idea what to do, just because it tied it with the movie. Not because they could do, but, oh, yeah, we can do this. But that would happen otherwise. Then he, then he got the uh, flying DeLorean. That's not going to happen. At least not in my lifetime anyway, I don't think. <laughs> like, we, where are we going? We don't need roads. I can't see that happening yeah. for, for quite a long while before that actually comes into being because we're so good. I've seen flying cars past 10 years been developed, but nothing to, yeah. this, to the stage where they're going to be actually uh, prevalent in our roads or yeah. our, our skies, I should say. <laughs> yeah, because there's one I know called Molar Cars. I don't know if you heard of them. They're based in California. We're going about 15 years, and they've got a one-seat, two-seat flying car, and the car does fly, but I still think it's too early for them to actually get in the market because we're not ready for that. Yeah, yeah. But like when we had the, the first train, they said, if you go over a certain speed, it's going to tear your body out because they said it couldn't go more than 20 miles an hour. <laughs> and then that was proven to be wrong. If you go now in a bullet train or TGV, <laughs> They've got 300 miles an hour speeds, no problem at all, and we're, we're still all alive. Right. I've been in the bullet train. I'm still standing here. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah. you know, the, the Hyperloop looks like it's not far away either. No, and, and to me, that reminds me of something I've seen years ago in old Gene Roddenberry's series called Genesis. He had a similar kind of thing where you could travel around the world in like a Hyperloop. And that was something he said, okay, this is interesting. What's next? Teleporter from Star Trek. <laughs> You're going to get all these things that are... And replicate it, where you can replicate your own food. There's no more restaurants. You go somewhere and replicate your food. <laughs> That's going to be next, I think. Not, not in my lifetime, but one day that could happen. Right. The only thing is, when I'm thinking of, of Star Trek, I'm thinking of, of the transporter. I keep thinking of the movie, The Fly. When the fly gets caught in with the guy, <laughs> and you don't know what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, all, I'm, I've, I've always got to think about being realistic. And how do you make sure that when you're using technology... It's certainly not going to turn on you like Hal did in beyond in 2000, or how right. basically a flight gets stuck in transport and suddenly you're a hybrid. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I guess it's a bit like thinking of Stephen King, how he would predict the future. Because I'm thinking right yes. now in the, in the current pandemic, there are people telling me that if it was written as a movie, directed by Quentin Tarantino, written by Stephen King, because so it's so unbelievable what's happening. Like a year ago. You wouldn't have predicted this. I wouldn't have predicted that we'd all be remote working. I wouldn't see much of my friends. I, we would rely on technology and we wouldn't realize we're going to take over the world. And I, I keep thinking we're getting more and more likely going towards the Skynet because we rely on more technology. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. And it, it, it's not scary, but it, it's basically, in a way, I'm glad we had technology because without it, we wouldn't be, I wouldn't be here talking to you now. You wouldn't be talking to me. We couldn't do indeed. our jobs. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. And what do you see in the future of work, Raveen? Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, probably three three words to me sort of uh, characterize the, the way com- I'm seeing companies think about this, Ronan. One is certainly um, this notion of resilience. Yeah. How do we build organizations that are much more resilient to shocks? Because, you know, we talk about these black swan events like they're the rarest of beasts, and yet we've had two in 12 years. Yeah. And so how do we create an organization that can withstand some of those shocks and pivot from one opportu- from one threat to an opportunity. And I think a big part of that is taking a portfolio-based approach to work. Yeah. So having people in jobs, machines, AI, robot- robotic process automation, et cetera, and understanding how we seamlessly deploy work across this portfolio of different options yeah. um, as a way of not just chasing the lowest cost, but building a much more resilient enterprise. I think the other key word is agility, the agility yeah. to sort of move talent around the organization, um, be able to pivot the organization from a threat to an opportunity. And then I think the flexibility that comes from an enterprise that is um, more adaptive and able to change with more decision-making from the edges. Because I'm thinking, so think, when you said earlier, but I'm thinking of, uh, of uh, when you pivot, I'm thinking when you do SWOT analysis, It'll be different than it was a year ago because more uh, threats are going to be opportunities than they used to be. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think it you know it's, it's fascinating because over the last couple of years, the old scenario planning that Shell pioneered yeah. in the uh, in the in the mid seventies, early seventies, has really come come back into vogue for for the obvious reasons. Yeah, because I'm seeing companies now are, are suddenly realizing that the technologies they've got because of the cloud, they're, a, they're able to suddenly work from home but it's something yeah. like if you deal with legacy software is the biggest problem at the moment oh, how do we get yeah. around that yeah yeah and, and i think that's going to be one of the biggest challenges for organizations and you know you talk about agility right and yeah. it's it's how do you sort of transcend that legacy infrastructure um and you know recognizing when something is a sunk cost and you know setting it aside and moving on to you know, more distributed models, which, yeah. you know, which are much more open source systems, more plug and play versus some of the uh, proprietary stuff on which so much of the legacy infrastructure hinges. And also if somebody, you got a business who's still relying on Windows, Windows 7 or an older version of Windows, or when they narrow the time, they have to upgrade now because it's, otherwise they're going to be left behind. Yeah, Absolutely. And that, to me, is probably the biggest challenge. How do you go about doing that in the pandemic? And how do you make sure you're getting value for money as well? Yeah. But it's, it's almost become, you know, that the, the quantum and, you know, premium on speed, right, Ronan, has, yeah. has placed such a premium on recognizing that technology is going to be perpetually obsolete and ensuring that you've got the mindset, the budgetary resources and other resources ready to sort of keep perpetually reinventing. Yeah. I'm thinking right now, back in the 70s, when we, we were starting using uh, mainframes, et cetera, we were using dumb terminals. And right now, because the cloud, we're going back to the dumb terminal way of doing things, right. which is great. Yeah. 
Indeed. Except my dumb terminals are a bit more smarter in that with a dumb terminal, when they're offline, they can still do things that the old dumb terminals couldn't do. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So it's kind of like we're reinventing the wheel, going back to where we started. <laughs> I'm wondering if anything else we, we used years ago will be reused again as technology. Yeah. Uh, I'm not thinking of VCR. I'm thinking of anything else that's out there that we could <laughs> suddenly find that that worked well years ago. And we can reinvent with new technology and, and uh, build it better and, and make it more user-friendly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, see, that's a good question, actually. Because I'm thinking years ago when we were doing stuff, it was all basically typing in commands. And then we, when we got used to a GUI interface, that never happened again. You very rarely use that. Unless you were an admin administrator, you wouldn't be using commands much anymore. So I'm sure there must be old technology around that we can re reinvigorate with a GUI interface so that it can be used by uh, by anybody without any that much need to go and spend a month learning the manual. Right. Yeah. Yep. Because I'm used to, when I was younger, playing with older computers. I had a VIC-20 when I was a kid, playing with that. Right. And then my dad's old company, I got to work with him for one weekend there, and one of the guys in the office had a K-Pro computer which is a small uh, portable computer. And basically, it was like a toolbox, and you opened it up, and it was DOS-based. And at that time, I didn't know what DOS, well, barely what DOS was. So trying to use an early version of DOS with all these different commands. Whereas mm -hmm. nowadays, nobody using a computer knows what, how to use DOS. They're all basically exactly. using a, a mouse or, or a touchpad. Right. It's, it's all object-oriented, and yeah. it's point-and-click, right? And in, in one way, that's good, because... It means that when someone, someone, when you want to update your company, is the learning curve isn't as steep as it used to be. Exactly. Yeah, and and you know that that to me, Ronan is is probably going to be one of the biggest things that we experience in the next couple of years is the proliferation of low code or no code AI. Yeah. Yeah, and and the reduction in the skill premium from today being dependent on that world class Python or Julia AI developer to actually now having a business analyst yeah. who knows the problem domain well enough and has the tool set because the tool set has now gotten embedded into windows, into, you know, your, your cell phone, you name it. Um, you know, having that machine learning capability baked into those tools is it, it's going to be the democratization of AI. But also it's going to help you because I, I remember I was out last week using my uh, out for a walk. I hadn't been out for work for, work for a couple of weeks and was using my headphones and my watch detected that they, uh, my headphones were louder than they had been in the past weeks. I haven't used it much, so you know right away, it's louder than it should be. I've turned it down for you. And I'm thinking that in the future, <laughs> when you're using your computer, it will be able to predict what you're doing work-wise and tell you what you should be doing. Right. Which, is, which my view is great. So I said earlier about it being able to knock it. It will tell you, oh, this is how we use this. Instead of having the Python programmer, it will know what you've been doing and predict your pattern. It can tell you, oh, as you have done it this way and it's worked for you fine, this is what you should be doing in the future. Right. Which is great. That's, a, that's <laughs> something to look forward to. So tell us a bit more about how various companies are thinking beyond themselves. Because now you mentioned before, you were talking about McDonald's and companies who have been doing this. Yeah. Yeah, so, so during the pandemic, what's been fascinating to watch, Ronan, is companies being trying to be more agile by shifting 
labor to from their organization to another, you know, just to respond to yeah. a decline in demand versus a spike. So um, in Germany, we saw McDonald's moving talent to Aldi, the retailer, to reflect a growth in demand, you know, and, and sharing talent with like skills. Yeah. In uh, Sweden and Norway, we saw SAS um, shifting its talent, its flight attendants who had some nominal levels of training and caregiving into the healthcare sector. Yeah. Uh, in the U.S., we saw airlines um, shifting baggage handlers um, to working in the distribution centers of, of retailers um, because of the shift in like skills. But what's really interesting, I think, and we, I first wrote about this back in 2014, actually, uh, companies who are sharing their talent, not just to offset cost and, and capability now, but because they needed specific skills or each of them had something unique to contribute to the other. Um, you know, so in one of the examples we had, um, uh, Siemens had built a hearing aid for children and had uh, worked with, um, with Disney, yeah. uh, who, you know, who understands kids better than Disney, um, to actually collaborate so that Disney could bring their expertise, their branding, their marketing, to bear in, in Siemens taking this hearing aid for children to market, yeah. um, which to me was just a fascinating example of companies contributing the best of what they have to create something that is uniquely different. And I do think we're going to see a lot more of that, um, less and less for offsetting cost is what we've seen now, but more around powering new innovation. Um, and sharing the risks of innovation. Can you mention, when you mentioned about Disney, for, for me, Disney has always been a positive thing about kids. So I, I always think Disney is something that children love and enjoy. And mm-hmm. any product or, or service that, that is uh, got Disney behind it, you know it's going to be for common good. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I, I, I admire that. And saying, when you mentioned about the baggage handlers in America have been moved to distribution, that to me is they're really doing what they're doing, but they're bringing it to a different uh, form of distribution, and uh, and uh, also it means exactly. that they actually get to upskill as well. Exactly, that's exactly <clears throat> right. Yeah, because I'm sure you're going to find a scenario where if you're in a pandemic and you can't work, but you can you've been told by your boss we've got a way you can upskill your skills by working in this other sector for a while. It means you still get paid, you still have a, a, have a job, and uh, when you come back. You'll have, you'll have more knowledge which can help us grow. Exactly. Yeah. Yep, that's exactly right. I, I could just imagine, for example, uh, I'm not sure in the future, uh, I can see the more CSR, and you might see more companies actually doing this. Or, like, for example, Google might decide in the future what we're going to do. We're going to have more of our, our, of our team working, helping other companies by developing apps or developing their websites to do things to help them. Rather than do the Google usual Google thing, working with somebody else in a different area and, and help them grow, especially with charity work. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly right. And same with AI, for example, if you're looking at, at AI in the future, it's going to be used more and more to detect diseases before they, before they start or, or famine before it starts. Yeah. Yeah, just like the, uh, the recent deep mind thing about folding proteins yeah. and how they've u- utilized that. Yeah. And I, I think basically, right now, no matter what pandemic is coming, looking Christ right now, maybe it's made us, made us reevaluate how we how we look at things. And and when we come out of this, come out of this in maybe a better place because technology has helped us survive. Without technology, I don't think we'll be able to cope with this. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm just sticking with the Spanish flu, for example. How did they cope with the Spanish flu? All those yeah. 100 years ago. I'm thinking. Yeah. And they did it without brain technology. And uh, so I'm thinking back now, we're lucky we've got the technology that if you can't go to work, work can come to us. And we've got the ability to be able to uh, stream different TV services, do different things, things we couldn't do. And also, even for example, we can get them on our phones now as well. So when we make up in the morning, you can pick up your phone and you can decide what, what, what's important that's we dealt with first thing this morning and what we can leave and, and deal with later. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. I guess you actually probably found that wearables now are becoming more of a big thing as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've got one a bit three years ago for some minor health issues and when I got it at first I thought they were gimmicks once I started using them it's, it's, it's been so useful for me to be able to have it I'm thinking right now in the future it's going to be very very important for, for, for our daily work so when you Absolutely. want to log into an office space or log into your, to your work your wearable will be the only thing that lets you in because it knows who you are yeah exactly and, so and it knows it, and it'll know that you don't You've been vaccinated, you don't yeah. have COVID, and you're yeah. not going to be a threat to the folks inside. Yeah. And also, one thing it will do is it's hard to it's hard to copy wearable, but it's easy to copy a swipe card. Yes. Yeah. And the swipe card isn't going to tell them, actually, you're Ron and you're Raven. And as you said, it won't say this guy hasn't got COVID because you won't know. I'm not going to give you that. Because if the card can be, can be mimicked, you don't know that the person with the card is, is a... Is who they say it is, whereas with a wearable, you know it's them because it it doesn't work unless it knows who you are, i.e. via heartbeat or or past certain things you gotta key into it to make sure it knows it's you. Like I've seen wearables now that work work via heartbeat. And heartbeat is in years, it it won't operate. Hmm. It's been done with MasterCard and it's kinda of like a when they use the Irish technology of fingerprints, it's unique to your, to you, only you, and it's a little ring you yeah. wear. And the ring more or less tells a person, this is Ravi and this is Ronan, because they're linked up yeah. to your heartbeat. And <laughs> like, it's like if you were, you get a wearable watch and you put it on somebody else, it knows it's not that, it knows it, it, it that's not Ravi and Ronan because it's somebody else that can tell us it's somebody else. That's, so when right. you're going shopping or, or going into a building, the ring knows it's you and lets you in because it can detect right. that's you. So it cannot be basically hijacked by something like Tom Cruise, which possible can hijack it and then use it as a way of getting in because it's right. designed to work with only you. And once you put it on, it, it syncs with your heart rate, checks who you are, and then for that it knows it's you, which is, yeah. which is, which is great. And that's one thing I, I think we'll see a lot more of that in the future as well, that kind of technology. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So anything else you want to add to the podcast? No, no. Boy, we've had a really good conversation yeah. here. It's been interesting because – Hearing from your side of what you've seen and what and uh, it's been great because I'm always looking at every time we do a podcast or, or we see something like yourself, I'm learning new things, things that I didn't know. And like I didn't know that America, two percent of Americans were ready for world working. That kind of stuff was kind of eye dropping. I didn't know that. I thought it'd be harder than that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, it was a very small number. Yeah, um, you know, and like for some odd reason, the Netherlands is I think uh, ahead of most of the developed world. Yeah. That didn't. That kind of surprised me too. But with Ireland, I'm not surprised because Ireland, we've always been a bit ahead of the doing of doing remote working and the time we've done it in the past. And now, when it came out in Ireland that we had to do this, a lot of companies, most were prepared because they're multinationals. 
the ones that weren't yeah. had to adapt. And yeah. they didn't adapt, they were going to die. It was like Darwinism. And they actually did in the end adapt. They, yeah. they had no reason not to. Yeah. <clears throat> so anyway, on that great note, thanks for that, for a great conversation, Ravin. Have yeah, a, have you, a great day and good luck in the future and uh, take care. Thanks very much. You too. Thanks. Bye. 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 Bye.